I'm Indiana University tourism professor Evan Jordan, and this is the Trip Doctor Podcast. is called Crux by Naya Lore. You can find it and more online at the Free Music Archive. The tourism workplace is fast-paced and always on. During holiday periods when most people are taking their vacations, people who work in the tourism industry are at their busiest. There's recently been a movement toward understanding and promoting equality in the workplace, and tourism is no different. Researchers are constantly trying to understand how the tourism workplace can be more equitable for people of all genders, races, and sexualities, just to name a few. My guest today is Dr. Ines Carvalho. Ines is an assistant professor at the Universidade de Europea in Lisbon, Portugal. Her research interests include areas such as tourism and gender, languages and tourism, and literary tourism. She's recently devoted her time to understanding gender and hospitality and tourism management and has found hidden discrimination toward women in the workplace is largely connected to societal norms that linger from the past. Probably we're not doing it on purpose. So so, so maybe they, they just thought that she had other things to do probably at home with her children and they didn't even think that they were excluding her. So you've been doing research on gender in tourism and tourism management for a few years now. And one of the things that I am wondering as I start looking at your research on gender and tourism is how is gender and tourism management impacting women? And is it different than other industries like his tourism Because you see this in a lot of different industries, you know, women are making less than men. They're not taken as seriously. They're passed over for management positions. Is it the same in the tourism industry as it is in other places? And what does that mean? I wouldn't say that the tourism sector is not necessarily better or worse than other sectors. Uh, But there are some aspects that are more positive and others that are more negative as compared to other sectors. The thing is that uh, sometimes like some some years ago, maybe a decade ago, even the World Tourism Organization didn't have a very critical position on um, gender and tourism. So uh, in 2007, the the World Tourism Day, it was called like something like uh, tourism opens the doors for women and it certainly opens. But we have to be more critical about the kinds uh, of doors that tourism opens. So I'll say that there are some positive aspects about uh, tourism. Uh, and it's like it's um, it's an area where you have like more women than men working in most countries. That's the case of Portugal and like the majority of countries. Uh, however, you still men are still the majority at the top. But um, at least in a way, it's only at the top while they have like industries that are more male dominated. Like it's not hard for women to enter in tourism. It's only hard to make like um, their way to to the top. And uh, it's also 
on the one hand, there are stereotypes that favor women's entry into the sector, but on the other hand, these stereotypes also constrain them from advancing in their careers, because like these uh, stereotypes that women know better how to take care of other people, it's good in a way, in, I'm not going to say it's good, but it's it favors their entry into the sector, into certain kinds of positions. Uh, probably front office positions or positions that involve in taking care of guests. But on the other hand, the same kinds of stereotypes are not kind of do not reflect the kind of qualities that you look for uh, for a position that is, for example, for example, in management. So these stereotypes that seem to favor women uh, when entering tourism, they not favor their advancement. So this is just not positive anymore. Uh, and what's specific about the tourism sector also? It's, it's a sector uh, where there's a lot of shift work, where you have to work 24-7. For instance, at the travel agency, there are cases when you are dealing with people on the other side of the planet. So it means you have to, maybe you, in some positions, you might have to... Um, uh, to, might have to receive calls in the middle of the night, for instance, or hotels, they never stop. There are always guests inside, so it's uh, a business that never closes. And it involves like night work, shift work, lots of availability because what uh, what I just said. Uh, and it's hard, for, especially for women, because we're in a society where women still have most of the burden in terms of taking care of the household and taking care of the family. So this uh, puts this, this puts like further barriers to women that uh, usually men uh, do not have as much this kind of, of barriers and this kind of responsibilities of accumulated responsibilities. And another aspect is that like there is a lot um, this uh, tourism sector is seasonal, so it means that people uh, work mostly. At well, uh, at least that's the case of, of Portugal. The high season is in Portugal and in many countries, it's precisely summer. And summer is when schools are closed. So uh, a big problem that I saw that my interviewees had, it was that schools are closed in the summer and many of them don't know what to do with their children in the summer. So there are people that take the children to work, but that's only if they have the luck uh, of having their own companies because other people are just struggling, for instance, because they don't have a place to, to leave their children. So this makes, um, there are peculiar situations in the tourism sector, like in terms of gender that you don't have in other companies. It doesn't mean that it's necessarily much worse than other companies because, as I said, the fact that it's a company, um, a sector where there are many women where you have like the majority of people that are graduating in tourism and hospitality schools, at least in Portugal, uh, they are women. Uh, so uh, it means that there are also the sector ends up becoming more open to accepting women because this is they all they are also the um, they provide most of the qualified workforce. But still, there are lots of barriers, uh, and some are very specific to to the tourism sector. So you mentioned that certain sectors of the tourism industry may be better than others. Do you have an example mm -hmm. of like what is a sector that is better for women in terms of becoming upper level management and what is a sector that's not so good? 
what I found out here with these results that concern, again, the Portuguese sector, but I believe that some of these aspects, you observe them in other countries as well, uh, is that, for instance, the, um, the travel agency sector is like more more open for women as compared, for instance, the hotel sector, because in the in hotels, um, a great part of the labor force is composed of people who are not very qualified. For instance, if you if you think of cleaning, uh, a great proportion of the jobs in the hotel sector are related with cleaning, and these in the Portuguese sector are they are mostly women. In other countries, you also have men, but it might also be men, uh, foreign men from other countries, migrants. Um, so these are you, you have a lot of these positions, but then when you um, you go and look for more qualified positions, you find mostly men. Uh, while in the travel agencies, you have uh, in general salaries are, are higher because the qualifications required are also higher. And in my data, like there were like many more women were much better qualified than men uh, were working in the sector. They were much better qualified. Uh, still, in terms of upper management, you observe that you have more men than women in both sectors. And it's surprising, especially in the travel sector, because the gap is even wider uh, than in the hotel sector in terms of the, the pay gap at the top. So it's very it, it's very strange. But I would say that, like, in general, the working conditions end up being better, like, in a sector, like, for the travel, like, travel agencies and tour operators, because the positions offered are better qualified, like, in general. One of the things that you mentioned in one of your more recent research articles is that hidden discrimination is more pervasive than overt discrimination. And it actually got me thinking, I was reading an article um, yesterday, actually, about this uh, medical university in Japan and how for years they had been discounting women's scores on their entrance exams because they were worried if they had too many women doctors that they would all get pregnant at the same time and they'd have a doctor shortage. Uh, really? So, so is, that <laughs> an is that an example of hidden discrimination <laughs> where behind the scenes they're like changing scores? And how oh my god! That... I think that's over discrimination. <laughs> I mean, uh, it is. It's, do... it's like uh, it's very direct discrimination. Uh, I'd say may maybe it's hidden until you find out, <laughs> but it's definitely uh, this is a really a really very very bad situation. Like uh, what I mean by hidden discrimination? Uh, well, there can be two types of hidden discrimination. Is one you the the per the person who is discriminating against might be doing it on purpose but it's doing she or she is doing it in a way uh that's not very clear and where he or she doesn't want uh, other people to find out and there's another kind of either discrimination where not even the person who is discriminating against is, a, is aware of it because sometimes people are just like not aware of it because we live in a society where there is a lot of gender prejudice and you are raised in this kind of society, so you don't even realize it um, because it's just a norm for you. It's just the way things work and you never think too much about it and you just 
that's just the way things are. Uh, and this seems to be like very frequent. Like there are several situations of hidden discrimination. Uh, for instance, women feel excluded uh, in meetings, like uh, they are at a meeting with other male managers. Uh, like imagine there's a hotel chain and all the hotel managers are together having a meeting and there's only one woman. And after the meeting, all the men go together for drinks and they don't invite the woman, ma uh, the woman manager to come along. So probably we're not doing it on purpose. So, so, so maybe they, they just thought that she had other things to do, probably at home with her children, and they didn't even think that they were excluding her. Um, and other, like in this, there was a specific uh, woman that I talked to and she told this, so her strategy was to talk to the man, to the other man, and also show that she wanted to come along with them and then they accepted her. Uh, so it's like this kind of discrimination or, for instance, let me let me think of other examples. Uh, for instance, people, uh, just like at the beginning of their careers, they are not seen as competent. It's like people are not doing it on purpose, but uh, they tend not to be picked as much for certain kinds of uh, activities or for some kinds of tests because they are not seen as competent from the beginning, but the people who are doing this discrimination are not even aware of it at the moment they are they are doing it. Or for instance, like these small things, these comments that they do, oh, you should be, oh, you were a woman here, you, you wear the trousers at home, like in Portugal, we say, like in Portuguese, if a woman wears the trousers at home, it means she, she's the person who is in charge at home and who is playing the male role. So they would say like, uh, so you, you wear the trousers at home, why don't you go home and take care of your children? But like they were not, they were not saying it in a mean way, they were saying like, uh, maybe this is too tough for you, maybe you have other things to do at home. So they report these kind of situations and they don't, they refrain from calling it as discrimination. So when I asked them first if they had ever been discriminated against, the vast majority said, no, no, I've never been discriminated against. But then as the interviews developed, uh, women started to acknowledge these kind of situations uh, where they were not treating in the same way as men uh, due to the fact that they were women. So yeah. what is what is overt discrimination? And like, what does that look like if somebody specifically is doing it on purpose and everybody knows about it? Uh, so it would be like more situations where people are kind of are bullied because they are pregnant, for instance, or in situations uh, where, for example, someone um, refuses to like a, a hotel, for instance, or a supplier or a business partner refuses to have a meeting because he or she is dealing with a woman with a woman and it happened. Like several women say that the situation is improving, but like, for instance, 20 years ago, that it was worse than it is nowadays, because nowadays there are more women uh, in this kind of positions, although they're still the minority, but it is not rare anymore. So um, uh, these situations are, in a way, they say that this situation might be improving because the more women there are in this kind of positions, uh, and especially the more people are used to see women, the less prejudice they, they tend to have. So like this, this over discrimination happens a lot, like during um, pregnancy situations, both kinds of discrimination 
the specialty, the hidden one is related with aspects such as women being um, the idea that women are primarily mothers with the, the mother role is their most important role. So there's always this idea like, oh, maybe she is a mother or she is going to become a mother. Uh, so this is a, a, an aspect that constrains women's careers. Also uh, the idea that they are less competent for management uh, than men. Not less competent in general, but less competent for management. And like the, the male networks and the fact that men have preference for dealing with other men. You, you had mentioned that this is particularly interesting in the tourism industry because it's not just like we should have more women in management positions for the sake of having more women in management positions, although I think a lot of people would agree with that. It's not only that, but also you have vastly more qualified women or women that are qualified more than men for these positions mm -hmm. and they're still not getting them. Yeah. <laughs> so yes, yes. My question is, what do we what do we do about that? And I know in different countries, there's different sort of protections for women mm -hmm. in the workplace. But when it's a hidden type of discrimination, you know, this, these are very gray areas. Um, and so I'm just curious, what kind of protections are there for women in Portugal? Are they different than other places in the world? And how do we make this better? Uh, that's a that's a tough question. Well, um well, in for Portugal, actually, in terms of law, we've been recently compared to Scandinavian countries uh, in relation to certain aspects. Um, so it means that in terms of law, things are are good. I, I would say there are many things that, that we do have a law that works well. However, we have a system where people are somewhat afraid of going to court for instance or complaining now there's this idea that it's not worth complaining because it's going to be a lot of bureaucracy and work and then nothing's going to happen or i might lose my job if i complain so there's still a little bit of fear maybe because we were a dictatorship until 1974 um it could be because of that uh, but in terms, you were asking me what kind of protections the, there could be, right? Yeah. Especially in terms of uh, concerning hidden discrimination. Uh, it's hard. Like it's this could be like people like being more assertive, could be a way of trying to overcome this. And also, we do have laws that protect people. The things that people do not want to also do not want to, to go that way. Other things that I think that need to change is that um, in Portugal, we do have a lot of people, we do have a lot of women in the labor market. It's one of the uh, European countries where there are more mothers of young children working full time. However, this is not a consequence of, it's not that Portugal, uh, although we have a, a good law in terms of gender equality, but it's not that the mentalities, it's not that people themselves have a Scandinavian mentality or a very developed and pro-gender equality mentality. It's that people need to work, like both men and women need to work full-time in order to sustain their families because you cannot have a male breadwinner household in most cases because salaries are not enough. So we do, you do have to have women working. 
And on the, on the one hand, people accept very well that women work, and this is definitely the norm that uh, women, even mothers, work full time. That's completely the, the norm. The thing, um, the problem is that this mentality at the same time we don't have like uh, at the same time we don't have the the mentality the pro-gender equality mentality has not advanced at the same level like st people in general still think that uh, women uh, have the women are primarily the mothers and primarily the ones who sh should take care of the household so i think there is a mentality that should change and this is going to take time, but I believe it's possible. So I think this is an aspect that is very important that men start taking more uh, responsibilities at home. Like I think it's important to have policies that stimulate like more men to be involved in taking care of their own children and involved in household duties. Uh, in Portugal, there's a policy uh, that men, when they um, so men and women have a parental leave and men also have a maternal leave and men have um, also have a, a, some sort of leave when they have children. Uh, and if both men and women decide to share the, the parental leave, they get more time of leave. So there's a system where um, men's participation uh, in childcare from an early age uh, is rewarded. So it's with intention that so like men should stay more uh, at home, and if they stay more at home, then there's this reward that they get more leave altogether. So and I think actually, this is interesting. That's hmm? really good compared to yes. like in the U.S. <laughs> like it's it's pretty rare to have paternal leave for men. Um, so that's a policy that I think is actually an incredible, incredibly positive yes. policy for for men staying at home when their children are born. Yes, yes, I, I think this is this is very important. And I've seen like at the beginning, it was only like some years ago, it was only a small percentage of men uh, that were taking this leave because uh, men were frowned upon at work. Oh my God! So he's not a real male. He's not a real man. He's staying at home taking care of their uh, of his newborn child. How come? Uh, where is the mother? So at the beginning there was this idea, and it's changing. Because of uh, these laws about, well, I don't know uh, uh, in to what extent the mentality has already changed. But in fact, the statistics show that a much greater percentage of men in the last years, like, I, I'm not sure exactly how, mu how much, but there's, uh, it's incredible how much it has changed in 10 years. Like, a lot of men now are already staying at home with their children. It's still... Um, I mean, it can still improve, but there's definitely been uh, improvement in these areas. So there's some hope. Uh, and I think this is an important thing. And since one of the aspects that was underlined by the interviews was this idea that women are seen primarily as mothers and as the ones who are more responsible for family life, this was one of the things that was the... Um, that the underlined as being harder, uh, especially because then since the tourism sector... Um, demand so much availability from people, people have to be available. And if people have less uh, availability or if they are perceived as being less available, then it's hard for them to advance because it's like as if availability is one of the most important things that you need to show in order to, to advance in the career. Uh, that's uh, a lot of what I got from my interview is this kind of feedback.
and that's that's something that you mentioned is very particular to tourism. I mean, other industries have it, but the tourism industry is always on. Are there things if people are working in the tourism workplace, mm-hmm. let's say men in particular, what can what can we do to help accelerate change, positive change for women in terms of equality in the workplace, in terms of managerial positions, because I even see it at the university level, the way that our students treat female faculty is very different than the way that the students treat me. And I always wonder, like, what are the things that I can do to change this as somebody who is in the thick of it? Uh, so you mean us, like in general, as society, or as a specifically as tourists, as researchers? Well, as, as as anybody in the workplace, like, you know, if you see, like, should we just pay attention for uh, hidden discrimination and try and change it when we do see it? Like, what are the things that we can do in in the workplace? Ah, yes, of course. Um, it's uh, so hard to say, like, because the problem is a problem of the broader. It's a problem of the whole society, of organizational structures, and of public policies mostly. Uh, but like, we can still, there are still things that can be done. I think that one of them is trying to regard people as individuals and not making immediate assumptions about a person's skills, for instance, based on whether that person is a man or a woman or a transgender, whatever. Um, So, and this is very important, like being aware that many of the differences, for instance, between men and women are more social and cultural rather than biological. I think it's it's important to educate people about that. And by the way, I'm doing this supported by, by studies. Of course, there are biological differences between men and women. But for instance, there are studies that reveal that individual beliefs, uh, the, the beliefs of individuals about family change more according to their nationality than according to whether they are male or female. So it's important that we start like respecting like people looking at people for what they have and tr- trying not to come with our mind full of stereotypes. And I think that uh, education um, is important for that. And I notice, for instance, when I talk to students and the younger they are, the better they assimilate these ideas, like this idea that many of the ideas that we have about men and women are stereotypes. Um, like some years ago, I went to a school and I did a session with the students and I, it was, it was really surprised that they were very open to this idea and that they immediately, um, uh, found out what were stereotypes and what could be biological differences. Um, and like much more open than, than other, older people. So I think education, uh, is like, uh, is probably going to be an important tool. Um, like individual behaviors, I think like maybe trying to make people aware of us, like, but without become, without being too snobbish <laughs> about it, because then people won't listen to us, but like educatedly trying to point out, maybe you should not say these, or maybe, um, uh, trying to educate the other people, but in a way that does not make them feel uncomfortable. I think that this can also be important. What about travelers? Because mm. many of my listeners um, on the show are going to be people who are interested in making change through their travel decisions. So are there organizations, I guess, that they can look for that are better in terms of equality or how do they affect change with the choices that they make in their travels? 
Mm, yes, I'm not sure exactly. Actually, it's a very because I've never seen. I've not looked at it from the perspective of what travelers could do, but there certainly are. Um, there are certainly companies that have uh, a more responsible tourism in this behavior. For instance, there are countries that have uh, countries. I mean, companies that have certifications uh, that are cert certified for sustainability. And for instance, the ones that have um, the certifications that are recognized by the a global sustainable tourism council they they the gender aspect is included uh, in these uh, in these uh, certifications that are recognized by this council um it could be an option yes uh but i think that it, in general what should be done is like treating people like again with uh, with respect uh, not arresting workers and especially like i think sexual tourism although it's not related with women in upper management but in general you know that sexual tourism in terms of gender that um it's something that is very problematic so i think that uh Tourism can have some of the responsibilities, but maybe if people, it's more in terms of not having the wrong behaviors, more probably than in terms of having the the correct behavior. So it's more like not arresting or not going into sexual tourism. I don't, I'm, I can't think of anything that could uh, positively have a very strong influence on that. Maybe like this going for organizations that could have some kind of certification. This probably is uh, the thing that could be done from the traveler perspective. Okay, so yeah, uh, if the listeners are interested, they can maybe look into mm -hmm. some of those sustainability certificates you were talking about, but also thinking about the, like you said, the travel that they do and how that type of travel impacts women. Sex tourism specifically is generally very negative um, for women in the tourism industry. So I want to finish uh, by getting to know you as a researcher and a traveler a little bit more. We've talked about the issues of, of gender and tourism and tourism management, talked about some potential solutions uh, for making things a little bit better. I'm curious, how, how did you get into this area of research and yeah. how has it changed the way that you travel? Um, well, I entered this um, I entered this field because I have just finished my master and I got a scholarship as a research assistant, a grant as a research assistant for a project that was working uh, with these aspects. It was the first project in Portugal related with these areas, with these areas, and it was particularly related with um, men and women who are graduated in tourism and their outcomes in the labor market. So from then, then I helped um, for, then we started the second project and I started doing my PhD at the same time. So I'm not sure to what extent it um, has affected the way I'm tra I, I travel. Certainly, I travel alone a lot more than I did before this. I'm not sure if it's because I have... Um, 
I become more self-confident as a woman to do this <laughs> or um, or maybe I just grew older I don't know to to what extent it does affect my the, the way I travel uh, but I think that this research has certainly had like a strong influence in the way uh, I see people around me and the way I, I deal with people and also my students it has made me aware of many more things especially also something that I did not do specific research about but I think there are other kinds of, uh, of equality that I'll be interested in looking into in the future, like racism and something, because I, f I feel that uh, it's something also very important and that you needs to be paid attention to. And it's even harder to do research on racism because you rarely have data for that. Uh, but yeah, uh, I think this is this is very interesting. This is a very interesting research topic, definitely. <laughs> so you you mentioned that. You know, you you maybe travel a little bit more independently, and maybe that's because yes. you, because of your research, maybe not. So that kind of <laughs> brings us to the last thing I wanted to talk about was you took my uh, traveler personality quiz, and I always like to ask my guests what they mm -hmm. got, and see if they think it is an accurate reflection of you as a traveler. So you did take the quiz. Can you tell us what 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 was your result? Yes, I, I expected the results. An explorer, of course. <laughs> So the explorer tends to be more adventurous. Um, did you find the act, the description to be accurate? You're a person who likes to uh, have independence and seek out new experiences. Oh, definitely, and... definitely. So maybe can I tell about my travel plans for this year? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so I am going to travel alone to Taiwan and then Hong Kong and Macau. And that's because I've been studying Mandarin since last year. So I want to go there and test my Mandarin in Taiwan because in, in Hong Kong, they don't speak Mandarin. But okay, since I'm close, I'm, I've always been interested in going to Hong Kong and Macau anyway. So my plan is to go there. Uh, to also talk to locals a lot. I'm going to couch surf uh, at two people's places so so that I can meet locals. And I applied for a program to go to schools there and like talk about Portugal. But I don't think they... Okay, people are going to accommodate me at their places, but I don't know if I get to see the schools where they work. So I think I really like to have this kind of experience. For me, it's very important to meet local people. And because I love speaking foreign languages, uh, if I'm traveling to a place where I can speak the language to some extent, I really want to, to be able to speak to local people. <laughs> Well, I think that's certainly an adventurous form of travel, learning a whole yes. new language and traveling <laughs> to new places so you can practice is, I think, something not a lot of people do. So uh, that sounds like it's going to be an incredible experience. And in Hong Kong, they speak Cantonese, right? I know, I know. So it's going to be harder for me. Uh, and I'm going to be very disappointed because I won't be able to practice my Mandarin anymore. But I'm sure there will be many other things I'll be interested in uh, experiencing. <laughs> Well, Ines, I want to just say thank you again for coming on the podcast. It's been fascinating hearing you talk about gender in tourism and, and tourism management. And I'm really looking forward to reading your research in the future to see if you expand uh, to look at things beyond gender. I mean, I'm sure you'll continue um, thinking about this in interesting ways, but it sounds like you have a very bright research future ahead of you. Okay, thank you so much for inviting me and um, have a good day. <laughs>